this is Megan Gazzo with Long Story Short. And to continue our theme for the month, which is Canadian shit, we have on the dial, on the line today, Hannah Lunn, coming all the way from Nelson, BC. Hannah. Um, so my name is Hannah Lunn. I grew up in Banff, Alberta. Um, that's my hometown. So I grew up skiing and hiking, cross-country skiing, all that kind of stuff there with my folks. And I moved to Nelson when I was ooh, 19 to work mm. one season up at Whitewater. I'd heard it was a good hill with lots of snow. So I was like, yeah, sign me up. So I moved out here, worked at the coffee bar, and I just never really left. I just love it here so much. And uh, I went to Vancouver to do my undergrad. So I spent some time in Vancouver and been back in Nelson. And I'm now a teacher at the local middle school, which I love. It's hilarious every day. Um, <laughs> like today was a big snow day. So I looked out in the field and there was like the world's biggest dick stamped into the field with snow boots. <laughs> Like oh yeah middle school love it here we are yeah what age are you teaching they are grade six to grade eight so they're like 11 to 13 14 mm. yeah the sweet sweet puberty years <laughs> yeah i bet that is something else to be handling it's true if you've ever watched bob's burgers and been like oh this show's like ridiculous it's like no that's actually what it's like every day in a middle school <laughs> wow yeah. hilarious well yeah. good on you for doing the good work oh, you know <laughs> yeah um so doesn't everybody in canada call skiing ski tour or am i wrong about that uh you are wrong about that my friend so ski touring is so skiing is just skiing at the resort right like at whitewater whistler sunshine whatever um and then ski touring is when you're ski touring you're in the back country so ski right. touring is like you've got your beacon your shovel your probe your standard avalanche gear and you've got if you're skiing you've got um bindings that allow you to lift your heel so you can walk uphill and if you're on a snowboard you're on a split board or snowshoes and ba 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 oh yeah your skins yeah. So you've been ski touring quite a bit these days haven't you yeah it's been awesome the past few winters i've really gotten into it and yeah, this for New Year's, actually, um, us and a couple of friends in our bubble, we booked a cabin, a little hut out in the Bonington range. And we were like, oh, yeah, it'll be chill, like maybe 10 or 12 K in, like, that's fine. We can handle it. And we ended up, it ended up being 17 and a half K. So like touring. Wow. Yeah. So it was a big day and we had, you know, like our big packs are all full of food and everything. Um, so it was a pretty hilarious slog in. But we knew where we were the whole time, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, we were with a really experienced group and had a really good like map and um, apps and compass and everything for that. So yeah, we we got in there wow. to this little hut. We celebrated our New Year's at 930 because we were so freaking tired. <laughs> and did the hut have everything you needed on the other side? Yeah, so the hut like, had it like a Coleman stove um, for cooking. It had a big cozy wood stove and it had three um sleeping bunks so like three double bunks for six of us that sounds so cool it was great yeah it was really fun so we brought you know some cards and some games and some wine and you know all those kind of treats up and we just had a great time the next day was just snowing non-stop so we were in a really kind of protected little mellow bowl so we just did laps of that bowl and just kept it really mellow because there's you know pretty high abbey danger avalanche danger there um, yeah yeah and then the next day we skied out so it was a little three-day two-night adventure with some hilarious great peeps and yeah it was awesome he's got some balls my friend <laughs>
You know, I get lost just going to my mailbox. <laughs> it's true. I have the worst uh, directional. I'm, it's actually considered an actual um, like dysfunction. I've heard it's that. called it's called directional insanity. Directional insanity. And and I have it. Nice. You know who else has that? I think is our friend Holly. Holly's said oh, that yeah? she could pretty much diagnose herself with that, with that disability. <laughs> like, it's like, I will live in the same place for three years and I will go around the block coming home. You know, it's like, it's like, Oh, I'll just zip right by. Yeah. It. It's like, Oh yeah, there, I live there. <laughs> Do you recognize so landmarks I'm... or is it like your lefts and rights or. I'm a landmark. Yeah. Okay. I love a landmark. Yeah. yeah. Nice. But if somebody's like, all right, this is what I need you to do. You take the 20 to the 36 and oh, make yeah, a hanger yeah. right. I will just black I out. actually do the same thing. If somebody gives me directions without me writing it down or drawing, I black out for that entire, the duration of them speaking. But do you pretend the yes. whole time when they're speaking oh, yeah. that you're, that you get I'm it? I'm nodding and smiling. They're like, cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Why do we do that? I don't know. <laughs> If I know them well enough, I'll be like, okay, one more time. Like that did not make any sense in my brain. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, but if they're just nice guys, and yeah. Like, I have no clue what you're saying. Exactly. But yes, just keep going. Yeah. I feel like that's harder Ooh. for cities for me. You know, like right. it's harder if I'm in a big city, if there's a lot going on, driving. Yeah, that's it's a bit much. So you guys are on the um, you're the whole world is on the kilometer except us guys. Yes, I think so. Pretty sure, isn't it? The whole world. I think it might be. <laughs> what is wrong with I us? I don't know. That's a big question. A few things, huh? Yeah, but you're what all so it? nice. They love you guys. All my Americans. Yeah, friends. it's you true. You guys are so awesome. We are fun. Are how many? Fun wait, how many kilometers are in a mile? I forget. Mm, I'm pretty sure it's one point six. 1.6 yeah, okay I think so. so that was a shit ton of miles that you guys slogged in. it would have been less miles than kilometers oh yeah. right okay sorry. yeah the other way so I'll just I'll edit that part <laughs> out so I sound so I sound smarter yes, yes exactly you nailed it <laughs> I fucking nailed yeah, it you got it <laughs> sweet mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, as you know, at Doncha, <laughs> don't you know <laughs> that uh, this month's theme is Canadian shit. And I don't mean like actual shit, right. but like just shit that's Canadian. Yeah. And so you were telling me you've got a few stories mm-hmm. up your, up your uh, flannel. I do have a one big story up my flannel, I would Ooh, say. Yeah. Yeah. So, great. Yeah. So my story is Canadian in the sense that it's about getting lost in the woods at very cold temperatures. <laughs> So I don't know if this is something that's maybe happened to a lot of Canadians or this is like a personal experience that I like kind of think about as being very Canadian. But when I saw your theme and when I listened to your episode with Lisa, which was like the funniest thing ever, it took me a little while. I was like, oh, I wish I had like a cool Canadian story. And then I was actually ski touring that afternoon and was like, wait, I do have a ridiculous Canadian story. It's not as funny as Lisa's. But I think it. Uh, well, I can't compete. Well, I can't compete know, with her. It's it's really it's not even about it's not even about That's that true. you know, <laughs> it's just about it's about just sharing stories mm-hmm. and being funny people. Right, right, right. So there, so that that's what makes the story funny, right. you know. Yeah, and I think people probably laugh at my, uh, what's the word, the ridiculousness of the plight that I found myself. Oh, in. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I can laugh at it now. Like even probably a couple months later. I was able to laugh at the situation, but at the time... It took a while, yeah, didn't it? Totally. Should I jump right in? Sweet. Well, 
we'll gather around gather everybody around let's uh let's warm up to a, a, a tale, tale of woe Canadian tale. <laughs> yes great okay so uh i'll start at the beginning i think the year was either january of 2013 or 2014 and i had been dating somebody who i was just like head over heels crazy about like you know that early 20s dating when you're like this person is like just so amazing and you can't see like any flaws in them it was like that like I was just like head over heels totally (laughs) bananas so I think some of my uh maybe decision making faculties I don't know maybe I can think that I can like blame some of my decision making faculties (laughs) on that but I don't know who's to say um so we'd been dating kind of long distance I was living in Vancouver working on my degree and he was living here in Nelson where he grew up and for the sake of this podcast we'll call him Jeremy so Jeremy uh, is like a lifelong snowboarder. He split boards um, and he worked for a local um, video like making company. So he's really experienced in the backcountry. Um, he had all the gear, knew all the people, had all the stuff. And I was like pretty newbie, right? Like I had skied my whole life growing up at the resort, but I had only maybe toured maybe five or six times like prior to this misadventure. So when you start getting into touring, um, you do what's called your AST1 or your Avalanche Skills Training 1. And that's kind of a mandatory back course. Like a lot of people won't go for a tour with you unless you've done that course. Because in that course, you learn like, you know, the basics of avalanche safety, how to rescue someone if they're caught in an avalanche, how to use your beacon, your transceiver, which emits a signal properly, all that stuff. So I had done that, but I was like still pretty new. And I was visiting him here in Nelson over Christmas. Um, so we had kind of two weeks to just chill, go skiing, hang out. Um, so yeah, it was like, I don't know, just kind of an average afternoon. It was January 5th, I believe. Um, mm. And in the morning, see, the thing is with ski touring is that like to be safe, you should always get an early start because you don't know how much light you're going to have in the day. But that day we had had a really late morning week. Yeah, totally. We actually watched the Aristocats. I remember this very clearly in the morning. (laughs) I don't know why, but now I have like a weird, like mental disassociation with Aristocats. Like I'm like, Aristocats, ah. (laughs) And then kind of- Trigger word. Trigger trigger word, word. exactly. And we said, okay, (laughs) this afternoon, we're going to go for a really mellow ski tour up Evening Ridge, which is a really very like frequented, busy, common area to ski of that's just outside of the whitewater boundary. Um, so it was probably, I want to say like 11 by the time we got our gear. So if you're listening and you don't know what that is, you're going to have your beacon, which is your emits a signal in the case of an avalanche. So people can find you your beacon, your shovel to dig and your probe, which is like you use your probe, like a really long probe into the snow to help, you know, find a body if there was an avalanche. I know, crazy. Um, (laughs) And then because I was visiting from Vancouver, I didn't have my own ski touring gear. I had um, my own boots, which were downhill boots. So they're insanely heavy compared to ski touring boots, which are much lighter and allow you to walk easier. And so Mm. we went to his friend Jacob's house to borrow Jacob's skis and skins. And so we saw Jacob kind of that morning around 11. We said, yeah, we're going to Evening Ridge. And he generously let me borrow his skis and skins. But I am about 5'4". And Jacob is somewhere in the six foot range. Uh, So the skis were much too big for me. But I was like, whatever, no big deal. It's fine. Just use them for an (laughs) afternoon. Um, Yeah. So Jacob was kind of the last person to see us. And we said, yeah, well, you know, we'll return the gear by whatever, 3.30 or 4. 
And we're like, yep, sounds good. So we start driving up to the hill. We park at the parking lot to go touring. We do a quick gear check. Everything looks good. And we start skinning up the ridge. And this day was really like brilliantly sunny at first, I remember. But here in the Kootenays, we get what we call the, the Kootenay clag, which I don't know if clag is like a Canadian word or it sounds maybe Scottish. But the clag is like that yeah. deep fog that sets in and just like envelops you. So you can have really good sense of your directions one minute and then the clag sets in. And the next minute you're like, where the heck am I? So that's when How do you spell it? C-L-A-G. The clag. Yeah. So that's when you would pull out your tools, like your map and compass or your topo map on your phone to figure out where you are. So it had been really brilliantly sunny. Um, I remember we were touring up and we were kind of chit chatting about a potluck we were going to go to that night at my friend Leslie's house. And I remember being like, yeah, like it's a like Mexican themed potluck. So we'll bring these different taco toppings. Da 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 da. It's funny how you like remember these weird little details after like a strange event. You know what I mean? These things yeah. pop up. So anyways, we had communicated with Leslie earlier that day or maybe the night before that we would be at her place for dinner that night. So that was a good thing. People would know where we were. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we got up to the top of Evening Ridge, which doesn't take very long. I don't know, maybe like hour, hour and a half. So at this point, because we hadn't started skiing till maybe 1130, it was probably close to one by the time we were transitioning our gear. So that's you're taking your skins off your skis. Um, you are putting your boots from walk mode back into ski mode. You're putting on your goggles, your helmets, all that stuff. So we're doing that. We're chit-chatting. And I think in that period of time, some pocket of clag just totally socked us in. And we didn't double check. We didn't use a map or we didn't check on our phones to make sure that we were dropping in the right way. And I think what we kind of maybe succumbed to here was that element of familiarity with the area. Like I was like, Jeremy's grown up here. He knows this area so well. He's ski toured here hundreds of times. He knows exactly what he's He's flawless. He's flawless. flawless. Like nothing could ever go wrong, you know? Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, so we drop in and we start skiing. And normally with Evening Ridge, it's a short, steep pitch. And really quickly, you either, you kind of drop into a bit of a drainage that funnels you down into kind of a creek. And that's when you know, okay, the road is right above us. So we got to start walking up and you'll either put on your skins and walk up to the road um, to meet your car or you'll um, you take another line down and then you can more ski to your car. So it doesn't really follow the short, steep pitch that Jeremy's used to and that I'm kind of like expecting to happen. And normally it's like, it's not a long run. Like we're talking maybe like, I don't know. I'm going to talk in Canadian four or 500 meters. I don't know if it's in, a, in yep. American. <laughs> yeah. You guys do the conversions yeah, we'll, at home. We'll okay? do that at home. That's your homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it's getting um, really flat and strange and we're not recognizing the terrain. And there's kind of this moment of like, something's not right. Like, where are we? And so I kind of look mm. at Jeremy and he's got kind of this, weird scared look on his face that I haven't really seen before and he kind of takes him a little bit but eventually he says I think we're lost I'm like okay well we can't be far from the road you know like it the road must be really close he's like yeah yeah that's true so so I think we ski a little bit further um and at this point in the Kootenays here our winters are so dark like it starts feeling dark by in the winter so this is right after winter solstice like 315 330 maybe 
So I'm like, oh, it's kind of getting dark. And like, I, oh, I don't think I have a headlamp. Like I didn't pack that in my bag. Like all I've got in my bag. I'm, this is the point where I'm starting to do kind of like the mental check-in. Like, okay, what do I have in my bag? Don't have a headlamp. I've got my iPhone, though that has a flashlight on it, but who knows how long that'll last in the cold. Like, do I have, a, you know, a big mm. packed lunch? Well, no, we started so late in the day. I'm like, I think I've got like a handful of almonds and like maybe a cliff bar. Like, cool, 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 cool. Holy. And um, and see that Jeremy's kind of doing the same thing. And so we're like, okay, let's let's stop and kind of regroup here. And so Jeremy says, you know, like, okay, so at this point, we could maybe be like five minutes from the road, or maybe we've gone way, way further, like down than we're supposed to. And maybe we're like 20 minutes away from the road. Like, I don't know. Or, you know, eventually he says the alternative is like, we could have dropped down the wrong, the wrong side. And I like, I didn't want to believe that. I was like, that's crazy. You've been here forever. Like you're flawless. Why would we have done that? You know, like totally <laughs> disbelieving, but eventually it kind of sunk in. And I just remember like feeling really scared and feeling like very, oh. um, I realized how alone we were in that moment. And I remember we hadn't said, I love you yet or whatever, but I just looked at him and I remember just being like, well, I love you. Like just blurting it out. And I think I maybe said yeah. that in that moment. Cause I realized maybe how real things were like this could, but maybe you should have said, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> this is the thing though. Like, if, you, if you think about it, yeah. you know, this is the thing is that like, even in that experience and even to this day, I've never once blamed him for what we went through. Like it's never been yes. like, this is his, it was the, it was the, it was the Yeah. So I yeah. remember that was kind of the moment where things started feeling real. And I think, I think at that moment I had a little cry. I remember feeling pretty panicky and like, Oh my God. And he's like, it's okay. We've got my bag. I have everything inside. Like if we have to spend a night, like we're good. I was like, oh, okay. So he opens up his bag, which is a huge, huge touring pack. So it's like a big, I don't know, maybe 40 liter backpack, 50 liters with room for all of the things. And then he looks at me and he goes, Hannah, um, I left my survival kit in my filming bag. I'm like, oh, like, fuck. So he, as a filmmaker, he had two different backpacks, one that was his standard touring bag and one that was his filming bag. So when he was going on a really big filming mission with the company he worked for, he would pack his survival kit in the filming bag. And what he'd have in there, he'd have fire starters, uh, storm, like uh, waterproof matches. He'd have emergency blankets. He'd have extra snacks, extra food, uh, topo maps, compass, all of the things that now I carry in my bag every time I go. And so he had been doing because he because he filmed exactly. people in the backcountry. Yeah. So he okay. realized that he had left his survival kit that had would have everything that we would need to survive realistically, probably comfortably for a night in the woods in the other backpack. So that was the moment when we realized that we didn't have anything like we had no headlamps. We had no you know, those were kind of the days before like things like um, a Garmin inReach or a spot, which is a device that you can use to text phones if you're out of service. Um, we didn't have anything like that. Cause that's the thing with whitewater, there's no cell, cell phone service up there. Like you leave Nelson and it's pretty right. much gone as soon as you start driving up to the hill. So there's no cell phone service. We don't have any extra food. We don't have really any extra layers. Uh, we don't have headlamps. Mm. Um, we don't have any way to let our loved ones know that, you know, we're out for a night, but we'll be back in the morning. It's all good. We don't got nothing. 
So that was kind of like, holy fuck. Okay. So Nelson is also normally pretty warm. Oh man, Fahrenheit to Celsius. Here we go. Um, In the winter (laughs) in Celsius here, it's generally between like minus four to minus 10. So for Fahrenheit, I don't know. Do you know what that is? I think that's still above zero in Fahrenheit. I feel like your okay. zero is our minus 20. I'm actually going to study it very Excellent. thoroughly tonight. Perfect. <laughs> and be okay. a pro by the Wonderful. morning. So, yeah, normally in Nelson, we kind of teeter between, well, like minus two to minus 10. It's like, it's pretty mild here. A little bit colder than Portland, but like maybe not by that much. Um, but this day, we were happening to have a cold spell. So it was like maybe minus 10 the day that we were skiing and we realized that it was going to probably drop to minus 15 to minus 20 overnight. So that was like Mm. perfect. Um, So yeah, at that point we decided, I should say Jeremy decided, I remember him taking the lead on this one. He said, you know, our best bet is to stay in one place to dig a snow cave. We're going to stay warm in the snow cave overnight. And then we'll hike out in the morning when we have light again. Cause at this point it's like four o'clock it's dark. Like it's nighttime. Yeah. Totally. So like, okay, sounds good. So we start digging, we start digging, we build a little snow cave in the ground. That's just enough for us to kind of wiggle into and get cozy. And we're like, great. (laughs) You know, it's kind of that, like, we're just going to lie here until the morning and it'll be fine. Like you're not like in denial, but you're kind of like, we'll do this and it'll be okay. That kind of headspace when you're like a little bit desperate. And is a snow cave yeah. just literally yeah. a Yeah, snow cave is like a generous term. <laughs> so what you do is you pile all the, you make a big pile of snow first. And then if you have a lot of time, like if I'm doing this with a class outside, we'll pile a ton of snow in like a three to four feet pile. And then you let it solidify for a couple hours when you have that amount of time. And then once it's solidified, then you dig in um, the cave in the middle mm. and then you can slide. You can dig like a little tunnel that goes down into the snow so think like igloo style um goes down into the snow and then up into the snow cave and that helps keep the heat in the snow cave does that make sense yeah Mm, okay so it's horizontal though you're getting in horizontal totally yeah but we didn't have that kind of time so we're like okay we're just gonna dig we're gonna dig we're gonna make a little hole we're gonna be cozy it's all gonna be good so we do that and we realize that like we're not warm like this is not cozy like we're fucking cold (laughs) at this point So we regroup, recalibrate. We're like, okay, new plan. It's really cold out, which also means that it's, it's really clear. Like it's a clear starry night. Beautiful. Great. And then at that point, the idea kind of got thrown around like, well, what if we just follow our tracks back up the ridge? Cause if we just get back up to the top of the ridge, we can see where we are. We can orient ourselves and we can get out of here. So I don't know. Time at this point is kind of becoming irrelevant, Um, But basically we decided like, okay, we'll put our skins back on and we're just going to start walking up this hill and we're just going to follow our tracks because it's not snowing. We can see where we're going. Great. Um, So we decided to do that. So we start walking up the hill and it doesn't take too long before I realize that uh, because I have such long skis, like way too long proportionally for my body, that the tips of the skis, instead of just being like up, they keep digging into the snow. And so what's happening there is that I'm getting snow stuck between the skin, which is like, it's gluey on one side and then it's hairy on the other side. So the gluey side connects to your ski and then the hairy side provides the grip for you to walk uphill. So I'm realizing that I've got a lot of snow trapped between my skins and my skis, which is not good. Like that will slow you down very, very a lot. So 
So I'm kind of noticing this, but I like mm. don't want to make a big deal out of it. I'm like, oh, let's, you know, we'll just keep walking. And so we keep walking. We're kind of like chit chatting. And then at one point I'm like, okay, look, like I'm going to be walking really, really slow because the skin is basically coming off my ski. And I remember Jeremy looked at it and was like, oh, fuck, like this is not good. So he suggests, you know, like, why don't you try warming your skin up? by putting it inside your jacket next to your body and your body heat will help warm the skin up. Um, It'll not be as crusty and cold. And once it's warmer, kind of the glue will sort of like reactivate if that makes any sense and we'll be able to use it again. Cause does that, yeah, I was just going to ask you, cause if the snow gets in between your skin and like that, does it um, like remove the glue part or is it just like something that can be rejuvenated once you once like you were just saying yeah like, so, i mean glue. in a perfect world like if you just hung your skins up overnight in a warm house or in a cabin with a fire after that happened you'd be totally fine but in this case it was like causing me to be able to travel like really really slowly yeah so we're like okay mm-hmm. so i stick it in so at this point i have one ski with a skin on uh the other ski doesn't have a skin at all and if you can imagine we're following our tracks which like when you skin up a mountain there's a very specific way to do it you want to travel like kind of we call them kick turns where you're doing like a turn across and you're moving oh i'm terrible with like directions but you're basically you're not moving um vertically up (laughs) you're great with directions i'm the one that's terrible right 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 remember (laughs) yeah you're not moving like vertically up the hill you want to be traveling like across the hill um and then making a turn on each side so that you keep zigzagging if you imagine like a really wide zigzag up but because we had just been skiing downhill through trees, we didn't have that set. So we were basically just following our tracks up as best as we could. Um, so we did that for, I don't know, maybe like an hour, hour and a half. And we're like still like in the thick of it. Like we're not really seeing that we've gained much elevation at all. And Jeremy's like, I'm getting super Ugh. tired. Like, how about we dig another snow cave? I'm like, yep, that sounds great. This one will, this be, one will be nice and warm. <laughs> so so we do that so we dig in the snow cave and we lie down for a while and then at this point jeremy's like i'm super cold i'm like yeah i am too he's like no like i'm like the not good kind of cold like scary cold i'm like oh that's not good and so at this point he takes off his outer layer like his ski jacket and opens it up and i can see that there's a thick layer of ice crusted inside his jacket and so this is when like the pure mm. like wow like the irony just like hits me just like a ton of bricks because Jeremy is like a um, filmer and like somebody who works in the snowboard industry had a um, deal with Patagonia where they were like hey we'll send you guys jackets but a week before at his house we had been looking at all the different brand new perfectly great jackets that Jeremy could order and he was like oh they're all like really bright colors I want something more earth toned and so his old brown snowboard jacket had completely lost its waterproofing at this point so if he had and that's what yeah. he, he just yeah, it was the like old and brown and it was fine it had no waterproofing left like none at all so at this point oh. I think maybe between the mixture of water maybe getting into the jacket and then the sweat that we were producing he had basically a, a layer of ice frozen inside his jacket. So it's like, great, we're in awesome shape. Wow. This is perfect. <laughs> so we're like, okay. And at this point, I kind of remember being a bit of a cheerleader. I'm like, you know what? 
we're gonna we're gonna get up we're gonna keep walking uphill and we we're just gonna walk uphill as long as we can until i'm too tired because of this stupid skin and ski situation and then when we're tired then we'll just <laughs> dig another snow cave and then we'll lie down until you're too cold and then we'll go back to walking again <laughs> since that seems like what's yeah, been happening totally. so far like like you guys are like let's just accept exactly. the pattern that we've created and yes. we continually do it totally we'll just continue so that's what we to do, do. It. yep um and then i think maybe on maybe the third snow cave endeavor when we stood to get up to start walking i noticed that jeremy's really disoriented he's kind of blinking and looking at me funny and that's when i kind of realized okay he might be getting hypothermic and i just had this realization wash over me that I was like, look, if I go down, he can get me out of here. Like he can like carry me. He'll figure it out. If he goes down, we're fucked like this. So at that point, my entire right. focus shifted to just keep him safe, keep him moving, keep him walking. Cause if he goes down, we're fucked. So yeah, we basically did that all night long. Um, again, time is kind of irrelevant at this point, but I just remember really focusing on just keeping him safe. And we had to cross a lot of creeks too. So I was really, really aware of us, neither of us getting wet, neither of us falling in the creek, having any gear falling in the creek because it was so cold, like we'd probably die. And then, yeah, the kind of like death aspect, honestly, I feel like my brain just totally shut down the possibility that we could die out there. Because at that point, with that much broken gear and not having the right tools that we needed, like death was totally a possibility, but it just didn't even occur to me. I remember just like, I think it was just, you know, your, your lizard brain, your amygdala just like shut that off. And it was just like, keep walking, keep talking, keep making stupid jokes. Like at one point I remember being like, Oh, good thing we go to raves in the summer. Cause we've got practice at being up all night. <laughs> like just like yeah, full survival brain. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't so I think so we all respond to like, trauma differently um and that was just how my brain responded to that trauma in that moment it was like just keep walking just keep talking like well, I, good job babe. Reaction. Wow. I don't know so anyway so this takes us all night and because we didn't have headlamps what we were using to light our way was the light of my like iphone 3 maybe and to this day i have no explanation for how my iphone 3 stayed on all night in those temperatures because when it's not really cold your phone usually dies right but i feel like there's some like guardian yeah. angel something looking out for us because for whatever reason my phone stayed on all night so we could use the light yeah so Aww. then um yeah we kind of did that pattern like we talked about the whole way up and i remember it was just as the sun was starting to rise so i don't know six in the morning we got to the top of the ridge. And as soon as we got to the top of the ridge, we realized like, fuck, we totally dropped down the wrong side. That's exactly what we did. And as we got to the top of the ridge, we could look down to the Whitewater Road and we saw search and rescue vehicles going up and down with their sirens on. Oh. And I think at this point, they were looking for they us were looking totally. For you. And I remember Jeremy kind of like prepping me a little bit. And at this point, I think, whatever like little hypothermia dizzy spell he had it had passed and he was like back to good which is thank god and he was kind of like look like when we get to the bottom there's going to be like the search and rescue vehicles there it might be really intense they might be asking us a lot of questions just kind of like get ready because it could be a really intense experience and at this point i was like just so delusionally happy i remember like the sun was rising and we're up on this beautiful ridge and i was like yeah great yeah 
was the feeling just like crazy yeah. good when you guys reached yeah, the ridge totally the, it was that top. feeling of like holy fuck we did it we're gonna survive and I think at that point that was the first moment when like survival language came into my head when I remember thinking okay we're gonna survive mm. but up until that point the world you know survive or death or like <laughs> freezing starvation well not starvation but like you know none of those things had really occurred to me in a really serious way so it was like this moment of like holy fuck I remember there was like pink clouds and everything was beautiful and quiet just like this beautiful winter morning mm. and I was just like struck by the beauty of it all even though we had just kind of endured this terrifying experience um isn't that something else too like when somebody else I've always found this like when somebody else is in a really bad spot something internally yeah helps me become stronger to totally. pick up the pieces for the both of us maybe there was something like subconsciously happening that way because later when we were processing everything and I told them you know like oh I felt like my brain just went into like do to do survival mode he was like oh the whole time I was thinking about we're gonna die out here like I've brought her out here and we're both gonna die out here so even though he wasn't saying any of those things to me I wonder if there was some kind of subconscious mm -hmm. telepathy going back and forth yeah well good thing he wasn't saying it because yeah, <laughs> yeah then it makes it makes it harder to be that doopity doo yeah. when somebody's yeah. like Thank we're dying God. you know because yeah i i didn't know that until he told me but maybe like energetically i felt it and was just like hey like you said pick up the pieces let's just keep walking <laughs> yeah so you so guys are gonna we're on the top of the then. ridge and we we're like great now at this point we can just ski down the skin track that brought us up so rather than ski down the right side of the ridge we're like, let's just keep things as insanely safe as possible because we've done a pretty good job of fucking that up up until this point. <laughs> so we're like, we're just going to ski the yeah. track down to the bottom. So, so we did that and it didn't take that long, maybe mm. half an hour. And then we got to the road and I remember seeing right when we got to the road, we came out of the woods, we came up onto the road and this like veteran ski patroller from Whitewater, um, I saw him on the road right away and he looked at us and he said, oh, great. Have you guys come out to come help us find the missing couple? And because he must know <laughs> Jeremy from just, you know, living in Nelson for so long. And I used to work at the resort. So maybe he recognized me from that. And I don't think either of us like answered him properly. I think we were maybe just like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I don't think I think we were just too tired or delusional in that moment to be like, yeah. oh, it's us. Um, so, yeah. So I remember he kind of walked yeah. by and we were like, that was weird. And then we knocked on the search and rescue van and they let us in and they were so awesome. They were just like so calm. They're like, oh, are you Hannah and Jeremy? And we're like, yeah, we are. They're like, come in, have some tea. Here's a big bar of chocolate, which I loved because I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. And whenever the kids are sick at Harry Potter at Hogwarts, they just give them big bars of chocolate. So I remember being like, fuck yeah, this is like my Hogwarts. Like I get <laughs> chocolate now. Awesome. Again, delusional Aww. thinking, but that's fine. Um, and yeah, they were so kind. They just, you know, asked us to count to 10. Could we feel our fingers and our toes? Um, did some like, you know, you track with somebody's eye to make sure that their brain isn't concussed or whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a doctor, but they did all that shit. And they were so nice and so yeah. calm. And they asked us to show us them on a map. Like, where do you think you went? Where were you intending to go? And yeah, they could see that we were like, if exhausted and starving and whatever that we were okay so they said you know we're gonna let you guys just drive home like we're not gonna send you to the hospital or anything seems like you're in okay shape 
So we're like, okay, sounds good. And they told us that um, actually the night before, so I told you about our friend Jacob, who we picked up the gear from. So Jacob had a gut feeling that something was wrong by about six o'clock. And so he was trying Mm. to figure out where we might have gone. And he remembered us saying that we were going to a potluck at my friend Leslie's house. So he did some internet sleuthing and found a friend of mine on Facebook, the match named Leslie, and he wrote her who lived in Nelson. And he wrote her right away and said, hey, Hannah and Jason showed up at your potluck. And she was like, oh, no, but it is kind of weird. Like, they're the kind of people that would like, you know, they'd send a message or something to say that they were late or not going to be there or whatever. So at that point, he's like, hey, yeah, this is weird. So at this point, he calls Jeremy's family and says, hey, um, have you guys heard from them? And they say, no, we haven't. And so at this point, the worry is kind of starting to mount. And by eight o'clock, um, Jeremy's family and Jacob had made the call that, OK, we should call search and rescue. So they called search and rescue at eight o'clock. And because it was such a cold night, they were really hesitant about sending search and rescue people out because then you're endangering more people on the behalf of endangered people. Mm. <laughs> and but they ended up sending people out. And I think right. they said they were looking for us until about 2 a.m., And they called the search off at 2 a.m. because it was so cold and they didn't want to put anybody in any more danger. And they had just agreed that at 7 a.m., once first light broke, that they would send a helicopter out to look for us. So when we got to the search and rescue vehicle, they kind of filled us in on, you know, everything that had been happening um, on their end. And they were like, yeah, you're really lucky. Like, we were just about to send out the helicopter, but we're really happy that you guys have walked yourself out and that you're safe and sound. Yeah. Wow, you guys are <laughs> yeah, badass. So Jeremy's family hadn't met my folks yet because the relationship was still pretty new. Um, but I think they found their number in a phone book, maybe, and called my parents in Banff to say, just so you know, this is happening. We haven't heard from them yet. We want you to be in the loop. And so my parents were in Banff, just like freaking out. Oh, I was just going to ask you, was your, what were your parents like? Yeah. So as soon as we got into service, I'm going to get emotional here. Um, As soon as we got into service and I called my family, I heard my dad's voice on the phone (laughs) and just realized, yeah, I'm crying now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just realizing how, um, just hearing his voice and realizing how worried they had been all night. You know, they hadn't slept all night either. Um, yeah. yeah that was the first oh, moment when it became babe. real you know like I feel like all night I just kept myself in that like be strong keep walking it's all good we're gonna get out of here make jokes whatever and yeah. then as soon as I heard my dad's voice I realized how real it was yeah oh. yeah and then oh, we babe. you really really <laughs> really are or... badass that is yeah. such a crazy story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Like that is insane. I'm just like, you had every obstacle. Yeah, you know, and we bo- really we book. fell victim to a lot of the really classic mistakes that you make when you're in the backcountry that I make when I'm in the backcountry. So I put all my trust in somebody else rather than having my own survival gear and my own kit. Um, I kind of I didn't double check my own yeah. surroundings. I just again relied on somebody else and didn't do that double check before we dropped in where's our objective what's the line we're skiing you know um yeah and 
Yeah. What are some of, what are some of the things that you would give tips for, for people that yeah. are, I'm actually new that's to so doing exciting. this backcountry stuff myself <laughs> and I have a horrible sense of direction. Yeah. So, so the first the thing part. I'd recommend doing is go to your local you know? gear shop and ask them, you know, there's normally really experienced, awesome people there. I would pick yourself up um, a mini first aid kit that's like small enough and portable enough that it's not going to be a burden for you to carry. Um, so a mini first aid kit, I would get some fire starters. They usually have like some little like, you know, fire starters there um, and storm proof matches because if your lighter gets wet, it's not going to work. Right. And then you're going to want um, topographic right. maps of your local area, wherever you're skiing and a compass so that you can orient yourself on the map properly. And then you're going to want to learn how to use a map and compass. So if there's not like, I don't know, a course or something happening in your area, just look it up on YouTube. Like you can learn anything on YouTube. So I'd learn how to use a map and compass properly because they're no yeah. good in your bag if you don't know how to use them. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Babe, awesome I love these tips. Too. Great. So apps like Gaia, Avenza, our fat maps are awesome and you can download maps of your region. And then a lot of these maps have like on Google map, your little blue dot, if it's downloaded, you'll see exactly where you are on the map on your phone. So you never want to rely on your phone as like a map because phones die as we know. Um, but phones can be really awesome in the backcountry for just double checking your location and making sure that where you think you are is where you actually are. Yeah. That is and that's just my great info. crazy Canadian story about getting oh. lost in the woods overnight. <laughs> what, what a story. I'm like, yeah, I was, I was fully hooked in Good. from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Such, you told, you told it so well too. And I'm of really grateful Thanks for, for having you me. sharing that. Yeah. I actually was going to do a show that's um on sur- Ooh, like sur- awesome. near-death experiences survival feel free to reuse uh, it <laughs> coming up so i might have to get yeah i might have yeah i might have to put it in a double um and i also must suggest if not. you haven't seen the movie adrift okay oh girl you gotta see it, it has a uh, shailene what's her name shailene, shailene. Doodley. oh my gosh i, I read a podcast a episode about that story the yeah. So it is a wild tale. Yeah, and it's a true story mm-hmm. about how she survived. She, her, out she's there. on a sailboat, right? Um, and it's yeah. So she um, was on a mm-hmm. yacht. So basically, she meets the man of her dreams. They fall in love, mm-hmm. and he has a yacht that he built, um, or a sailboat that he built. And then he, this like older rich couple that know of him because he's like a really great sailor. Uh, to ask him if they would ask okay. her and him if they would sail their yacht back yeah. to California and they'll pay them. Um, and so they end up doing that and they get caught in like Oof. the craziest storm ever. And it's a Oof. whole, yeah, it's a badass story. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like, and just like you, like you're still, you're still uh, doing backcountry, even though, you know, you've had experiences like that. And I'm sure when you went the other day and you hit the, you thought it was going to be a certain mm-hmm. amount of kilometers and it was way more. Um, but you still, you know, you might have had like well, a moment not there. Really, Did you have we a moment with, there? We knew exactly where we were. It was really nice. We were on a long sled road going in. So we were just following yeah. the sled road. And then it was really just longer from the sled road to the first kind of warming cabin. So there was never a sense of us feeling like we were lost. It was just like, oh, we're not there yet. And we were with a really right. experienced group as well. I mean, I was, yeah. you know, with someone experienced on that other experience too. Um 
but yeah, I definitely, I yeah. notice if I'm in the back country and things are starting to get dark, I get a little bit, my heart flutters a little bit. I'm a little bit like, okay, it's starting to get dark. Right. We have a plan for getting back to the car. What's the next move here? So I think in most, it, most environments where people might be like, oh yeah, it's starting to get dark. We should start heading back. I get a little bit more anxious, a bit more quickly. And I've learned to just kind of communicate that to people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would say like, I don't know. One thing that I've learned is just like open communication is so key. Like when I'm with people in the backcountry, we're always having conversations. What do you notice about the snow quality? What do you notice about like, did you read the avalanche bulletin? Um, what do you think about this objective today? Or, you know, is it a day where we pull back and maybe we do something more mellow and just um, really reinforcing that open communication with everybody in your group is so essential and just making your group like a safe place to be right. A safe place to whoever you're touring with. Um, a safe place to communicate, to share ideas. And often women in the backcountry um, get kind of stereotyped as being way too cautious or way too, you know, way too careful or too scared. But really, I think we bring such a beautiful thing to the backcountry because there's actually been a lot of studies and data showing that compared to all male groups in the backcountry, if you have mixed gender groups, the rate of incidences, so avalanches, getting lost, those kind of things, they go way down. So I don't know. I think I encourage as many women as possible to get into the backcountry wow. to get their cool. training and then to just find groups of like-minded people um, to kind of promote safety out there. Cause at the end of the day, the goal isn't like skiing a sick line. The goal at the end of the day is coming home safe. Yeah. Well, thank you for Thanks. that beautiful conclusion, yeah. my love. I love that. And uh, yeah, so I think that's a perfect ending to a really captivating story. Uh, again, thank you so much. That's Hannah. This is Hannah Lund joining us on Long Story Short. Thanks, guys. And uh, we're just going to sign off. And everybody be safe. And thanks. Thanks for thanks having so me. so much again, love. I really appreciate it. Sounds good. Bye. Okay. Talk soon.